Good morning, everyone. Hey, if you got a pen, get it out, because i got some things I want to share with you, um, and I want you to write them down if, if, you can, uh, if, you, if you are a person that might remember or forget them by the end of the service, because I know I would, um, because that's just, that's just how it is. First of all, uh, here in two weeks, we'll be starting our questions answered series. We have kind of the first three weeks planned out already, but we still have some room for some more opportunities for people to ask questions, and we want questions to be coming into the church just throughout time, um, so that as we have the opportunity, as the need arises, um, and as the chance we have to answer your guys' questions, uh, we want to be able to do that. So, so please, there's one thing in your bulletin that I want to point out to you. It's on the insert, um, and so if you got a bulletin at the very bottom of that insert, I want you to circle that last thing. The, the folks that are in charge of our food pantry um, want to try to begin just collecting some specific items each week of the month. Um, so that way we know that those items will be stocked and ready to go. Now that it's only open on Thursdays for those four hours, um, each Thursday it gets, it's, it gets used very well. We've got some incredible volunteers. They're always looking for more to come help and staff that. But each week, probably in the bulletin, I'm guessing, this is where this is going to reside. And you can see, hey, Look for what's on sale. Um, look for what you might have coupons for, what's on the clearance bin over at Kroger and places. Anyway, I just wanted to highlight that for you to see that because that's kind of a new feature, a new thing that they're doing, and uh, we're, we're excited about that. Second of all, um, this does not apply to everyone in the room, but I wanted to let you know that the folks that we have that we support in Poland, um, currently uh, they're living in the States, but they're still helping to direct a camp over in Poland, and we got asked to see if we might be able to put together a small team to go over to Poland later on this year and work on their camp, um, in particular rebuilding an amphitheater that has aged out and is ready to be replaced. So it's a simple construction project. It's not anything big or difficult, but they only need five or six folks um, to help out with that, uh, or eight-ish, somewhere in that range, a small group. There's about four of us so far that are on board, and we just wanted to throw it out there to see if God led anyone else to join us. We would love, we need a couple more in order to for sure be able to go. And what I want you to write down were the dates. It is September 16th to the 24th, September 16th to the 24th. Here's ways you can help. If God, if you're immediately like, I would love to go to Poland and help rebuild an amphitheater, um, then obviously that's why God wanted me to share that with you. If you can't, that's fine. Please pray for that trip, that it happens, A, because right now there's still some uncertainty. We want to make sure that we have enough people to go and, and do the work. Um, but on the second hand, um, you can also pray how God might want you to help out with that trip, uh, to help those that are going be able to finance it and things like that. So it is fairly soon. But uh, since it's such a small group, that's pretty easy to navigate and to, to negotiate all those uh, logistics to get folks there. So at September 16th to 24th, um, there are men and women going. Uh, we could use a couple more guys for sure, um, but that's, that's where we're at with that. We want to let you know. Lastly, um, we want to just continually give you information, but we don't always have information to give. And so when it's appropriate, I'll make sure to give it. And I want to let you know that this last week we were able as a... As a uh, leadership and staff to interview someone for the children's ministry position. Uh, things were going very, very well with that. We we're actually set tomorrow to have an interview with our parent and, and other group that was going to meet. But this weekend, uh, the, the candidate decided to withdraw their name because uh, they're currently volunteers at their church, and they're heavily involved at their church in a lot of different ways and just didn't feel like they were quite ready to leave that yet because they also have some serious family ties at that church as well. And so we just want to let you know that we're moving, we're working, um, we're just still waiting. So, so keep that in mind. With that being said, uh, Marsha Kirshner has filled in for the last 
three, four months now at this point, and we told her, hey, if you can last till the end of June helping us out, just getting things organized, making sure the teachers come, handing out the lessons, things like that, we would appreciate it. And so here in the next couple weeks is going to be her last week of doing that. Um, and so, yes, we're looking for someone to replace her, but more importantly, we're looking for people to make sure you tell her thanks for us because she's been a tremendous asset uh, to what's happened around here and keeping things going and, and keeping our, our students, if you will, fed over these last several months. And it's such a blessing uh, to have her helping out. So she's not, not quite done yet, and she's still going to serve. But I but, uh, just wanted to, to let you guys know that as well and make sure you join us in thanking her for, for her time um, doing that. All right? So hopefully uh, last week, uh, everybody that was here, you have your plans ready to go for today. Right? You had a week to prepare. Um, for your, your opportunity this week. If you weren't here last week, that's perfect. Those that were, now you know who it is you're supposed to talk to, who it is you're supposed to invite. I'll go one more and then I'll switch. <laughs> okay. Um, if you weren't here last week, let me fill you in a little bit. They'll fill you in the rest later. Um, a little bit of info. We want to intentionally strive to build community here at Berea. You got it? Yay, perfect. Good, good transition time. I don't know. Who knows why it's doing that today? Um, but that's not going to happen by itself. It's not going to happen on an accident. Uh, it's only going to happen through a lot of prayer and intentional efforts on our behalf. See, Satan does not want us in this room to know one another at all. He doesn't want us to get to meet new people. He doesn't want us to hear people's stories. He doesn't want us to be part of each other's lives. He wants to come in, talk to the couple people that we always talk to, and he wants us to leave right afterwards. That's exactly what he wants us to do. It's who he wants you to be. He doesn't want us to share one another's burdens. He doesn't want us to love each other. He doesn't want us to care for one another. And so as a part of last week's message, the be nice within, to those within, we threw this challenge before you. And the challenge was simply this, to, to set out a few extra burgers or, or cook a little of whatever else extra you might be having for lunch or to possibly, if you don't enjoy cooking, save a little money this week and go out to lunch with somebody you don't know after church or invite somebody you don't know from church over to dinner afterwards, or even later on this week, to, but to be intentional about that, to begin praying about who God might want you to invite. Now, keep in mind, this isn't a moment. This isn't a thing that we're going to try to do once. This is who we want to become as a church. And I gave you that ultimate dream, that ultimate vision of what if you were a visitor today, and you sat down here, and somebody after service came up, introduced your, themselves to you, thanked you for being here, and just let you know how much it meant that you were here, and then said, hey, How'd you like to join me and my family for lunch afterwards? Now, they might reject that offer initially, but think about the transition that would happen in their mind and how they would think of you and how they would think of God's church as a representative of that church just because you extended that simple hand to them. It's an incredible, incredible thing to do. So keep that in mind, not just today, but as time moves on. And the good news was, hey, if two people ask you or three people ask you or you ask two or three people, you just have more plans set up for the future. And you can get those things on a calendar if you're like me. That helps in life for sure. This is a body that we are called to one, love one another, period. The world we will, know, will know we are his disciples by how we love each other within. It's time to start showing that love in all times, in all ways. So don't forget that. Now, last week's teaching was tough. 
Paul did not pull any punches when talking to us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. He was helping that early church in Ephesus become the church that God desired because they'd already strayed from that mission. We talked about how much longer we've been around as the body of Christ and how much further we have probably strayed from that same mission. So those words of Paul's identify with us completely here today. If you missed it, if you weren't here last week, or maybe you're listening to this message and you just didn't hear the one before it, this is a description of who we are called to be. This is a foundational series for us as a church moving forward. So please, it's worth your time to take a moment and go back and listen. It's very specific. It's very challenging. It's very necessary if we are to become the whole body of Christ that, that God desires for us to be. It's worth your time to go back and listen to the words that Paul shared with us. It's absolutely foundational to us as a church moving forward. It's a call for us to change, all of us, every single one of us. It began last Sunday, and it's something we're going to continually reference from this point on in the future, and we'll point people back to that date and that message, which they can watch or listen to online any time. Here's the thing. We need everybody, everybody to participate in this movement. It can't just be a few of us. It won't work. It's got to be everybody, because he will know whether we're doing it. And here's the reality. The world knows we are his followers by our love for each other. But guess what? They'll also know what we are if we don't love one another. So keep that in mind. So now we're working on our love for each other. Now it's time to start doing a little different outside of this place. Because if we start to do this well, people will take notice. It might even have started last Sunday or it might even start today after church when you go out and you go to dinner or you have people over and you begin to talk about life and family and Jesus and the church and people overhear this. And so today we're going to shift our focus to round two. Be nice to those without. Now let me explain. Last week was within. This is now without. Yes, actually, those words do mean the opposite. We just don't use the word without that way anymore. But there's additional ways to look at it. Be nice to those without or those outside of the faith. Now, you know, hopefully by now, I love to call them pre-Christians. In my mind, that's, that's all they are. There's only two types of people in the world. Those that know Jesus, those that love Jesus, those that have accepted Jesus and given their life to Jesus, and those that haven't yet. And that is such a key, such a key concept for us to mentally understand. They haven't done it yet. Don't ever say they will never, because the Spirit can move to change anyone. There's all kinds of terms that the church uses to talk about these kinds of people. Words like non-believers, unchurched, the lost, all of those things are true, absolutely, and they're accurate descriptions, but they all kind of have a little bit of a negative tone to them, don't they? I mean, do any of you enjoy being called lost? Think about it. might be true, <laughs> but you might not want to admit it, or you might not even realize it just yet. So what I want to do is think about it this way. I believe the terms that we use to describe those that don't know Jesus yet kind of reflect a little bit of our opinion of them, how we feel about them. And I want to ask, does Jesus have a negative opinion about those people? Well, of course not. Romans 5, 8 is very, very clear. But Christ demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That's how much he loved us before we came to know him. We must never forget that. So today, we're going to start by reframing our ideas, our thoughts about how we think 
about those who have yet to learn about and accept the endless, unconditional love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, hope, and life found in the name of Jesus. I'll repeat that because those words should excite you. They really, really should. We're going to begin talking about people that do not yet, have not yet accepted the unconditional love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, hope, and life that's found in Jesus' name. That is what we have to share with those outside of our faith currently. And we're going to start by looking at the passage in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Now, we're going to read this passage three times throughout the message. It's a very short passage. Okay, so go ahead and turn there, open there. You need a Bible, there should be one right under the chair. In front of you, open your app, because there's at least a couple parts of verses in here you should definitely highlight, write down, have firmly planted in our minds and hearts. So here we go. Colossians 4, again the words of Paul, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, quick note on the letter to the church in Colossae, otherwise known as Colossians. It is a short, short letter, but it is an incredible letter. It covers so much. Paul weaves his way through some very specific things. First, he starts with his passion for the church and for Jesus. He lets them know repeatedly how much he loves them and how much he loves Jesus. He spends a big chunk of time reminding them of the supremacy of Christ, how nothing is above Christ. You cannot put anything in your life, anything in the church, anything ahead of Christ. He is in all and over everything. He teaches them to set their minds on things above not things of this world. Some famous passages come from the book of Colossians. He teaches them to set their minds on those things, and then he says, rid yourself of everything else. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Those in the church should have nothing to do with such practices. Harsh words, yes, but it's the truth, especially toward each other. He made the same case in Ephesians last week that we studied. Why? Why are our words so important to our faith? Why are our actions so important to who we are as believers? Well, simply put, our actions toward each other affect our witness for Jesus. If we treat each other terribly, if we speak terribly about one another, if we speak terribly about Christ's bride, it destroys our witness for Jesus. You cannot reach people for Christ if that is your attitude. Quite honestly, he doesn't want you with that attitude to reach people for Christ because it's going to teach them the wrong way to worship. And that's a bad thing. These same rules also can apply, if you will, to how we treat outsiders, those that don't know Jesus yet, those pre-Christians we were talking about. So I'm going to read this passage from Colossians again. Yes, Paul is asking for prayer for himself, but the things he's asking for prayer for are the exact same things we are called to do as followers of Christ. So listen to this prayer in relationship to you. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So let me proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly 
as I should. Be wise in the ways you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So as we apply this to ourselves, let's just ask the question, do we devote ourselves to prayer? In our actions, in our interactions with other people, do we devote those interactions to prayer? Here's our challenge for the week. Each week, you're going to have a new one. Here's this week's. Every day, I guarantee it, everyone in this room, youngest to oldest, every single one of you, there's something you do every single day. Probably every morning, something you do every single morning. I don't know your routine, but I want you to go through it right now. What's something you do every single morning? You got it? Is there something in mind? Every day you do this. I don't care if it's Saturday. I don't care if you sleep in. I don't care if you stay up late. Every day you're going to do this thing. Okay. When you do that thing, whenever it is, whenever you do that thing, as you're doing it, take time and say this very simple, simple prayer. God, I want to pray today that you give me an opportunity to show your love to somebody. Period. That's it. So if it's brushing your teeth, hopefully all of you brush your teeth every day, I don't know, but I'm just assuming some, whatever it is, that thing that you religiously do every day, while you're doing it, I just want you every day to pray, God, just give me a chance to show your love to somebody today, that's it, simple as that, nothing complicated, nothing hard to understand, not big flowery words, God, just give me a chance to show somebody your love today, pray it every day, and then pay attention. And they pay attention because you might still be at home when that opportunity arises. You might not have left home before you have a chance to show the love of God to a family member, maybe even an unbelieving spouse or a child. Maybe it's on the road on the way there. You stop to get gas. Maybe it's when you get to work. Maybe it's when you go to lunch. It could happen anywhere at any time. But here's what I know. God will put people in your path throughout the day. And you will recognize, if you're paying attention, who those are. And you will recognize if you are successful. You will probably also walk away sometimes and have that gut feeling like, Oh, I prayed for that opportunity, didn't I, God? And I missed it. You might have time to make up for it. You might not. But at least you'll begin to focus and to think about it. Now, I, like you, have a lot of passages in the Bible that uh, I, I really do love. And one, one of people's favorite questions to ask other believers, especially pastors, hey, what's your favorite Bible verse? Don't ask me. Just don't ask me because I'm not going to tell you because I don't know. I don't have one. Okay, it's completely determined upon my season of life in that moment or maybe even that time of day what my favorite passage might possibly be. Some of you are probably that same way. But here's the thing. Here's a passage that I do love. It's absolutely true. I love it. It's from the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17. I really do love this passage. And I really, 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 really don't like this passage. I could not possibly say that I hate a passage in the Bible because that just seems wrong. But I really don't like it. And you'll understand why here in just a moment. For me, personally, it's one of the most convicting passages in all of the Bible. James 4, 17 says this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Oh, now, as believers, especially those of you that have been raised in the church, you're familiar with the Old Covenant, you're familiar with the laws and things like that, and you probably try to follow those to the best of your ability. You're like, well, I don't kill people, and I don't do these things. You know, we like to list those things, and we forget the New Covenant and, and all that deal. But regardless, 
when you get to this, there's just no getting around this passage. God, I know your grace is enough. I know that perfection is something I will never attain apart from you. I know you've given us the law to make us aware of our transgressions, of our sins, to convict us of those sins. We do our best to uphold those laws. We know we fail, we fall short. Your grace, your forgiveness covers that. We understand that. But this verse in James just should hit you like a ton of bricks because, first of all, think about who wrote it. The man James. Who was the man James? Well, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was Jesus' literal little brother, the biological son of Mary and Joseph. We won't get into the fact and the reality of what it would be like to have had Jesus as your older sibling, right? Perfection, you. You get you probably already felt that about some of your siblings, but this is a whole other level. He never really did make a mistake, ever. He went through his life having absolutely no faith at all in Jesus. He did not believe that his brother was the Messiah, that he was the coming king, that he was savior of the world. As a matter of fact, he was part of the family that on one occasion, probably more than one, just one recorded occasion, went to try to capture Jesus and take him home because they thought he was insane. And they were worried that people might try to harm him. Well, he was right about that part. But the other, at some point in James's life, and we don't know when, James doesn't reveal that to us. My imagination takes me to a place after the resurrection, probably even before Jesus met with the disciples, where Jesus went to his family. And he revealed himself to his family, exactly who he was. But we, we don't know. We don't know exactly if that happened. We don't know how that happened. We don't know when or where that happened. But we know something happened. Because James went from an unbelieving brother thinking his older brother was insane to an incredibly influential, powerful force, leader within the early church in Jerusalem. He appears to be on the exact same level as the great Peter in Acts chapter 15, as James makes the final decision, he delivers the final opinion on a matter concerning the Gentiles that Paul has brought to the apostles in Jerusalem. So in light of that, in light of the knowledge of James's background, his unbelief for most of his life up to that point, rehear this verse. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, well, that's sin, <laughs> James denied the very identity of Jesus. He didn't follow. He didn't believe. But deep down inside him, when he was around Jesus, James had to know the good he was supposed to do. You know he heard some of Jesus' teachings, don't you? You know he witnessed some of the miracles that Jesus performed, and yet he didn't believe he had experienced, lived out this passage in his own personal life. He knew the good that was right in front of him, but he didn't do it. And now he realizes, uh-oh, that was sin. The Spirit of God does the same thing within each and every one of us every day. It is constantly, he is constantly prompting us to act to speak, to move, to give, to love. You and I have all experienced that prompting, the good we know we're supposed to do. Did you know that when you resist that or you deny that calling of the Spirit, it isn't just, oh, well, I'll do it later. It is sin. Scripture clearly defines it as such. Now, some people might call it regret. Some people might call it guilt. Those are okay terms, but they kind of take the sting off of it. It's sinful. Here's a case in point. 
today, after this message, like every Sunday after this message, there's always an opportunity to respond, for anyone to come forward and repent, to ask forgiveness, for people to come forward and accept Christ, for people to come forward and just join this body of believers in our mission here of trying to seek and save the lost. There's always that opportunity, and every week the Spirit moves, prompts somebody to respond to that. It happens every time God's Word is speak. It does not return void. And every week some people receive that prompting of the Spirit, the good they should do, and what do they do? They deny it. They suppress it, they withhold it, and they walk away. Did you realize that that is actually sinful? Now, there's so many different directions that you could take it. It's a personal sin with you and the Holy Spirit, but it goes beyond that because your witness could be the thing that changes somebody else's eternity. Did you know that? When you make a decision, when you pray, when you submit yourself out there for people to see your witness... Someone else's life could be changed for all eternity. Did you realize that? We don't want to miss that moment in the church. That's just our personal life. What about our outreach? What about our love for other people? Once again, the Spirit will prompt us. He will lead us. Are we listening as a church? So I ask you, will you commit every day from now until God takes you home? That thing that you do every day, will you take that time as you do it to just pray, God, just give me a chance to show somebody your love today. That's it. That simple, simple prayer. Because if you do, as soon as this moment when you leave here today, or maybe even before you leave, or maybe as soon as you're done listening to this message, don't be surprised at all if God tests you in this challenge right away. It could be after church, could be at lunch, could be this evening, could be a stranger, a family member, a spouse, a child. It could be anyone. You'll do this every day. And you'll have a chance to show God's love to someone to do the good you know you should do. I just ask, will you do that? Will you join me in that challenge? I'll be doing it right along with you. Now, some people might ask the question, how? How do I respond? How do I do that? I, I don't even know what to say. Well, first of all, if you're a person that doesn't extend themselves, you're maybe kind of a shy person or an introvert a little bit, I understand that. Evaluate yourself. You don't really like to deal with people. Are you a person that loves to use everything, order everything from Amazon? Are you a person that always uses the self-checkout because you don't even want to talk to a cashier? Are you a person that doesn't like to make phone calls, just doesn't like to interact with people in general? If that's you, it is going to be a little bit of a lifestyle change. But here's the thing. The more you try it, the more you practice it, do you realize the more like Jesus you're becoming and the more natural it will be? Did Jesus avoid the people? When it was certain times, yes, absolutely he did. He needed time alone Two, and you'll be answering the call of the Spirit. He'll make it easy. He'll make it easy for you. Colossians 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul lists six action steps in this passage. There's even a place to write them down, but you can look at the passage and figure them out for yourself. They're very simple. First of all, he reminds us to devote ourselves in prayer. Did you realize that if you commit to doing this, it's not you doing it? If you commit to this lifestyle, it's not you doing it. It's God's thing. It's who God wants us to be. He's in charge. We devote ourselves to prayer. 
I'm not in control. I'm just asking God, what is my role in this? How do you want me to, how do you want to use me in this process? The second action step, if you will, be watchful. Pay attention. Pay attention to God and what he's doing. Pay attention to other people. People are not people watchers anymore. They don't watch body language. They don't watch facial expressions. They don't watch the way people stand and carry themselves. They don't watch the way people interact with one another. They don't pay any attention to that because we're such a hurry to get on to the next thing. If you'll just pay attention for a moment when you're conversing with someone, you can instantly tell so many things about what's happening in their life. So pay attention. Seek opportunities to interact. Look for creative ways to show the love of Jesus to others. The Spirit will prompt you. Be thankful. Be thankful for every opportunity you have to interact with other people. <laughs> I know I just said that. Be thankful for opportunities to interact with other people. I know some of you are thankful to get away from other people. Depends on your job. I understand. But think about that. Regardless of how they treat you. Remember, as Paul's writing this, this, this letter, and he's reminding people to be thankful, he is literally, physically in chains. It seems like maybe you and I have a little more to be thankful for, don't we? In our lives, none of us are currently in a prison bound. Pray for that open door. Pray for that open door, that simple prayer that I've challenged you to pray every day for God to give you a chance to show his love to someone today. As simple as that, why wouldn't God answer that prayer? Can you think of a good reason why God would not open that door for you to just show his love to somebody, anybody? I can't. I truly can't. Pray for clarity in your words and in your actions so that whatever kindness you show, whatever love you show someone else, that they understand where that's coming from so that your words are clear to that person you're reaching out to. The last one, wisdom. Be alert. Be alert. Pay attention to the way you treat others, especially those that don't know Jesus yet. We don't realize this, but sometimes our actions... And our words could, in fact, drive people away from Christ. Case in point, you ever talk to a waiter or a waitress? You know what the first thing they tell you who the worst tippers are? Christians. Yeah, all the church crowd, people go out after church. They're the worst tippers. Ask. Ask your waiter or waitress how they feel about Christians. Make the most of every opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that serious. I can give you a simple illustration. I used to travel the world with teenagers. Now I get to travel with adults. Anyway, I used to travel the world with teenagers. And uh, teenagers, when you bring a group of 60 teenagers into a restaurant, they're not happy to see you. Okay, they're just not. They don't want you there. They want you to leave immediately. And so a long, 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 long time ago, we put in a simple policy. Hey, here's how we're going to do it. Okay, we're going to go and we're going to have a good time. We're going to have fun. We'll try not to get too loud and obnoxious. But here's the priority. When we leave this place, it's going to be cleaner than we found it. That was just a standard operating procedure for our youth group, anywhere we went. We'd leave this place cleaner than we found it. It got to the point where we didn't even have to tell the students that anymore because our upperclassmen would always instruct the younger ones as to how things were supposed to work. This played out so much so that sometimes we would help shut down restaurants because we'd get there late at night and we would literally be mopping the floors and cleaning the tables for the people over there. I didn't lead that. The students led that because they adopted that principle. And wouldn't you know, we got the weirdest comments about this big group of teenagers over on the side of the restaurant. Where are you guys from? <laughs> What's wrong with these kids? Like, they're so nice. They're so well. They're so... We had another little policy. You ever walked into a fast food restaurant with 60 teenagers in line? What do you do? Walk right back out, right? So we had this standard procedure. Whenever we saw someone, 
someone come in the door. We had a name for them. We called them real people. And we said, let the real person go to the front of the line. Make the most of every opportunity. Think about what that just meant. They see this youth group. They see these teenagers because a lot of us would have Christian shirts on and stuff. They knew who we were. And we just invited them to cut all of us to get in front of the line. Wait, that's not a normal impression of followers of Christ. We're fighting to be the first ones in line. We're rude and patient, not wanting to wait our turn for things so many times. You see, the impact you can have is substantial, even in the tiniest little circumstances. Make the most of every opportunity. That should be a catchphrase here at Berea. That should be one of our missions here at Berea. Make the most of every opportunity that God gives us to love each other and to love those that don't know him yet. So what does that look like in your life? How can you make the most of every single opportunity? I know there are people that are listening, thinking right now, thinking, I don't have time for this. I, I, don't, I can't commit to doing something else in life. This is just too much for me. Here's the beautiful thing. This isn't an event. This isn't an appointment. This isn't an extra meeting. This doesn't take any extra time. This is a way of life. This is a life style. It is who we are to be from this moment on as followers of Jesus. It is not, I repeat, it is not something else to do. It is who we are to be. There's a very big difference. Paul ends this by specifically drawing our attention to our language, to the words in which we use. Always let your words be seasoned with salt and full of grace. When you interact with others, do your words, your interactions with them, leave them thirsty for more? Or do they leave a really bad taste in their mouth? How many of you remember the old, it's old, so it's going to date some of us, the old Lay's potato chip commercial? No one can eat just one. Now, did you know that they've actually got lots of scientific research out there? Truthfully, it's there. You can go look it up online. Why that's the case? Why you really can't just eat one now? You can, but it is hard to only eat one of them. I read a couple of those studies just for fun, because that's kind of the weird things that I do for fun. And I read them and went, you know, this was way simpler than that. Guys, it's the salt. It's the salt that makes you want to eat more. See, if something is seasoned just right, it just makes your mouth water, like mine is now. <laughs> it just does, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more. And with the chips, of course, it also makes you very thirsty. And so you long for a drink of something refreshing. You crave more. Here's the thing. That exact same thing is true of the love of Jesus. Once you experience it, truly experience it, especially from other people, you long for more of it. You desire more of it. You crave it. People were created to live within the love of Jesus. It's the only thing that satisfies our words, our actions for, to those that do not yet know Jesus. They're either going to have a bad experience or they're going to have a good experience. Maybe as growing up as a child, they had bad experiences with Christians. Maybe they've walked away from their faith. Maybe our words filled with salt and with grace, our words which have been prayed over. Did you realize God can use those words to bring people to him for the first time or back to him for the tenth time? It does not matter. Last week, we focused within who we are to be as people of God, how we are to speak to one another, how we are to speak to each other and about each other and about the body of Christ, the church. We want Jesus to create an environment here where people will be able to fulfill their desire to be fully known and fully loved by God first and foremost, but by us right behind. 
We want to strive to be that beautiful bride of Christ that he desires us to be. So it's time to reach out, to do the good we know that we should do, and to love those that do not yet know the love of Jesus or have forgotten about it from their youth. To guard our tongues, to choose our words very wisely, to gracefully share the love of Jesus with those who are without. Because the reality is they aren't the only ones that are without in this moment. Because we're without them. You ever thought about that? They're without Christ. They're without knowing the love of Jesus. But without others, we can never become the church that God desires for us to be. There's a really famous passage that's often quoted in the church, 2 Peter 3.9. And it's usually quoted as an evangelical kind of passage. I'll read it to you. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, we usually use that telling people, hey, God's waiting on you. He's patient with you. He wants you to come to Christ. But have you ever thought about maybe he's waiting on you? You? Because if you go and read a little further in the Bible, in this book called Jude, you, you see that God wants us to snatch people from the fire. He's waiting patiently for us to go and snatch people away, to go and show, the, show them his Love, don't miss that opportunity. Enjoy the challenges you've been given so far and feel free to respond as the Spirit moves you even today. If your language, if your words, if your behavior toward the church, in the church, toward others hasn't been what God requires of us, then repent. Ask Him for forgiveness moving forward. As you begin to pray, maybe even as soon as today, for that specific moment to show God's love to someone. Maybe before you can do that, there's something between you and God that you've got to get through or something between you and a brother or sister in Christ that you've got to get through before you can truly commit to that. Enjoy your lunches today. Enjoy hanging out with one another, getting to know each other. Make this a habit. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your words, even though they're challenging. Father, they're difficult for us. They're simple. They're so simple. They're so easy to understand. There's no mystery around your teachings but, Father, our world has changed us into people that don't like people because of the way people behave, because of the way people interact. We, we love to throw that burden on others, but let's be honest, it goes right to our heart as well. Because of the way we treat others, the way we interact with people, Father, we, we've fallen short. And that's a reason why people aren't being reached for Christ. And, Father, we, we as a body of Christ need to change within who we are, how we treat one another, how we think and feel and speak about your bride, your beautiful bride. And then we need to begin to change our focus to those without, those that are without you in this life. Give us opportunities to show them your love as soon as today. We can't wait to see how you begin to move in each and every person's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.